The rest of us can turn to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. And our text this morning is going to be from verse 24 down through the end of the chapter. Hear now the very word of God. It is sufficient. It is inerrant. It is authoritative. Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would convict us from your word, that you would show us of the sins that we need to purge from our lives, that you would encourage us that those sins have been atoned for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our short eight-week series on sins that seem to entangle us. Last week, we looked at covetousness. And this morning, we're going to look at the sin of anxiety. One of the things we're going to need to think about is that there's a difference between concern and anxiety, right? Just ask any mother. A mother's concerned for her young child, concerned as they grow that they have the right clothes or that they learn the right things, learn manners. And we think it's actually a good and appropriate thing for that to happen at ages 6 and 16 and 18. But when a mother starts to do that, when a man becomes 36 and 46, in some cases, even 50 or 66, 
then we say it's gone a bit too far from concern. Just because it's natural doesn't mean that we can let it go to unnatural extents. We know it's natural because we even saw that, perhaps many of you saw with myself this week, a six-year-old girl learning how to mother, straightening the hair of her baby brother by licking her hand and patting it down. Comes natural, starts early. But you see, our Lord tells us not to be anxious. He doesn't tell us not to have concern. He doesn't tell us not to have cares. For as a matter of fact, He tells us to bring those cares and concerns to Him. But He tells us not to be sinful in our concerns. Not to be anxious or worried. So what I would like us to see then this morning is what anxiety looks like. We'll look first at the root of anxiety. The root of anxiety. And then once we've seen where it comes from, we're going to look at the foolishness of anxiety. The root of anxiety and the foolishness of anxiety. And then finally, just like last week, we'll try and get some practical directives to find the solution for anxiety. So the root, the foolishness, and the solution. Let's look first then at the root of anxiety. Where does anxiety begin? We may think it begins in concern, as I've just intimated to you. But really, anxiety is of a different breed entirely from concern. Because you see, anxiety is rooted in not trusting God. Anxiety's root is in not trusting God. If we think about what is anxiety, we have to answer ourselves that it's not every kind of care, but it's rather a care that's born from distrust. A care that's born from a belief that there is no hope, that there is no solution, that there is no one to care for us. That's what makes us anxious, if we think about it. Else, we would not be focused on the thing causing our anxiety, we would be focused on the solution. We, if you think about it, even in your own family, anxiety in the family is hurtful, isn't it? When a wife is anxious about, for example, finances, the husband is affected because he sees it as a direct attack on his ability to provide for his family. When a husband is anxious about the behavior of the children, the wife takes it as an attack because she's doing her job raising the children in the home. You see, it's no less so with our anxiety toward God. When we show anxiety, when we are anxious about our circumstances, we are showing that we do not trust God. It's one of the reasons why over and over again, our Lord Jesus tells us not to be anxious. The word anxious is used six times in this short passage. And over and over again, examples are brought out to contradict that. The solution for anxiety, as we'll see in a bit, starts with God. God's provision for us. It's when we doubt God's provision that we become anxious. And this kind of concern, this kind of anxiety is inordinate. It is paralyzing. It stops us from any form of action, whether it be on our own or going to the Lord in prayer. 
You see, that's where concern bleeds quickly into anxiety. I was watching a news program this past week, and it was about those who are afflicted with what is now called a disease called orthorexia. You've never heard of it? I hadn't either. It's kind of like anorexia, but a little bit different. You see, it happens to people who are very concerned about the food that they eat, that it be healthy, that it be raw vegetables, not cooked, that it not be processed. And they have this concern, and I think we could say that's a good concern. We probably shouldn't spend our whole life eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, ding-dongs, ho-hos, and cookies. It may taste good, but as every mother knows when she looks at their child, that's not good for you, right? But these people take it to an extreme so that they're so concerned about what it is that they can eat, that it be healthy, that they literally starve themselves. There was a man who was interviewed who said he's, he spends all of his day thinking about how he can eat healthy and what he can do because he doesn't want to get sick. And then they looked at him and they asked him, how much do you weigh? And he said, oh, 78 pounds. And they said, what happened the last time you went to the doctor? And he said, well, I'm 28, and the doctor told me I had the bones of an 80-year-old. And we think, this is a sickness. This is a disease. This is death disguised as concern. That's what anxiety is like. It's the kind of anxiety we have about our marriage that causes us to keep away from our spouse. It's the anxiety we have that our children turn out perfect, so we spend all of our lives manipulating how they will be raised rather than living with them. It's an inordinate concern that paralyzes us. It also is a belief that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one will. And yes, included in that no one is God. We have to look out for ourselves. We need to be on top of all the things that are going on. If we're not prepared, what will happen? Because you see, there's no resources in our mind except for ourselves. You see, concern is okay when it drives us to God. That famous verse in Philippians 4.6, where you all can repeat with me the beginning of it, do not be anxious about anything. But recall that the rest of that verse says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You see, it's when we think that we don't even need to go to God with our concerns that anxiety hits. That's why the root of anxiety is not trusting God. That's why we read verse 24. Some of you may have been wondering why our text included verse 24. Your Bible, like mine, may have a header at the beginning of verse 25. You need to be able to ignore those headers. Because verse 25 begins with what word? Therefore. And when we see a therefore, we do what? We look back to see what the therefore is there for. And you see, verse 24 says you cannot serve two masters. You have to either serve God or money. And in this sense, money is the way in which we make ourselves secure. We provide for ourselves. We put everything in tidy order so we are in control. And you see, our Lord Jesus says, 
Because you can't serve two masters, you can't be anxious. You must look only to one master. That is the Lord. Which master are you serving today? As you get bills that you're not sure you can pay. As you have medical tests lined up that you're not sure how they'll come out. As you have conflicts that you would like to avoid. If you are wracked by anxiety every single day, all of the day, it may be something that you can hide. In that way, it's like covetousness. But if you find no relief from anxiety, then there is a solution for you. It is to come to the true master. It is to lay your life before him, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to say, I don't have the answers. But you do, O Lord. I believe that you are sufficient for me. If you are anxious today because you don't know this master, then you must come to him. Believe in him. Make him your friend and your guide. Because you see, the root of anxiety starts with not trusting God. It continues with not accepting providence. See, anxiety is about our wants and needs. And our wants and needs are designed to bring us to the Lord, not to drive us from Him. You see, God sends circumstances into our lives to remind us that we are not God, that we are not sovereign, but He is. He reminds us that we're mortal by sending illness into our lives. He reminds us that we're not omnipotent by sending challenges into our lives that we cannot face. You see, those wants and needs are designed to drive us to Him. But when we don't go to the Lord, when we simply say, we're not going to accept this. We're going to change our providence. This isn't right. That's when anxiety takes over. When our concerns drive us away from the Word and away from prayer, that is a sign that anxiety has root in your life. Are you anxious about something? A procedure. A college. A child. And has that got you so wrapped up that you stay up at night but you can't open your Bible? Or you can't take it to the Lord? That you need to repent of that sin? That is a sin. It is not a personality disorder. It is not a quirk. For if it were there would be far less hope. You see, it's a sin that has been paid for by the blood of Christ. And you can repent of it and find forgiveness and find peace. You see, we don't accept God's providence. But the third thing about anxiety is, is that we are trying to be God himself. Trying to be God. You see, we're trying to be in control. We're trying to decide what we can do, figure out all of the different avenues, figure out the best plan, and leave God out of the picture. And if we think about it, that idea itself is very foolish, isn't it? Because first of all, it's the height of selfishness. I'm anxious about my finances. So what do I do? I go and take his money. I'm all better now. What have I just done? I've just put myself in front of someone else. I'm anxious about the time that I need to spend with my family. So what do I do? I don't work very hard at work. I leave early. I don't have anything to do with God's church. I don't 
talk to my neighbors. I'm so focused on my family. I'm being selfish. You see, that's not how God is. God is giving. God is unselfish. The truth of the matter is, Christian, that you make a very poor God. And so do I. You see, He gives richly. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. God could have felt anxiety about sin. He could have sat worrying, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to solve the problem. But no, God does not sin. Rather, He gives. He solves problems, even at great cost to Himself. You see, we would solve the problem of worrying about food and drink by hoarding. We don't have to go that back, far back in history to see this, do we? The great Y2000, Y2K scare, right? Everyone hoarding everything they could get because they were worried about what the morrow would bring. So we go beyond, say, a generator to help us, and we try and get whatever we can. Not caring if someone else needs food, we need to get it. It's the kind of anxiety that causes, upon news of a hurricane, otherwise demure ladies to fight over a bag of rice in a grocery store. Because they just got to have it. If they don't have it, something will happen. You see, this is what happens when we try to be God. We make a very poor God. This is the root of anxiety. But you see, like most sins, like all sins, anxiety doesn't stay in its root. It grows. Whenever we don't kill it, it grows. And it grows into great foolishness. We now see the foolishness of anxiety. We see that first in verse 27. It's... It's so well known, it's become kind of a proverb. People repeat this verse without even knowing it comes from the Bible. Verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? We've, we've heard it said another way too, can add a single hair to your head. Now, think about that. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's foolish. It's ridiculous. And yet, it drives people, doesn't it? People will ignore everyone around them so that they can exercise 10 hours a day because they think they'll live an hour longer. And Jesus says, which of you by worrying or being anxious can add an hour to your life? People will spend money that they need for clothing or to pay bills or to get out of debt on 17 different kinds of vitamins, of every sort, of every brand, hoping that one of them works and they live an hour longer. You see, there's nothing wrong with exercising. There's nothing wrong with taking vitamins. But it's when we become so focused to think that something we can do can add to our life that we become foolish. As Bible-believing Christians, that should be obvious to us. If God is in control, if God is sovereign, how can we thwart the will of God? If God has numbered our very days, if God knows our frame, can we simply by worrying make Him change His mind? Or to get around His will? No. You see, 
there's nothing we can do by being anxious. It's not a matter of better or more work. Because Jesus gives us an example of animals and of plants that don't do any work at all. It's as if he's really trying to drill it into our heads. He says, you know what? God takes care of animals and they don't have reason. They can't think or plan. They go on instinct. And it's almost as if anticipating some ambassador from PETA coming up and saying, well, you know, animals can think. He says, all right, wait a moment. Plants. Lilies. God takes care of them too. They don't think at all, let alone reason. You see, God provides. It's no help for us to try and think that we can do things by being anxious. It's as if I said to one of you, would, would you please go over there and pick up that 3,000-pound boulder and, and move it about 40 feet? You would look at me, what? That's how we should look at each other when anxiety takes over. But anxiety is foolish also because it is harmful. Look at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Anxiety is harmful. Why? Because living for the present with anxiety is the mark of the non-Christian. You may not like to hear that, but it's true. Our Lord Jesus says it. When you are being anxious, you are acting like an unbeliever. That doesn't mean you are an unbeliever, but you are acting like an unbeliever. Well, why is this? Because it's a mark of the unbeliever because today is all that there is. There is no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. There's no one in control. It's only me and my wits. If that is your worldview, that's how you'll act. But the Christian doesn't have that worldview. And so when he acts or she acts in such a fashion to be anxious, to live for the present, it makes others think that they don't have hope, that they don't know the Lord. This is all that there is. You see, unbelievers believe that they must provide for themselves. Anxiety is harmful also because it shows where our heart, where our treasure is, our true treasure is. You see, we can appear to possess faith in prosperity. The difficulty is when we tremble in adverse circumstances, isn't it? It's easy to say that we trust the Lord when everyone's healthy, when there's a sumptuous dinner on the table, when the bank account is full, and everyone has good relationships. That's an easy time to trust the Lord and to show faith. But when God introduces tests, trials, temptations, that's the time when our faith meets the road when we must go to the Lord and trust Him even when our eyes see that difficulties are in our path. That's how we walk by faith and not by sight. And you see, when we are anxious, what does that do to our witness to our neighbors? When you have memorized all of the Romans' road 
and evangelize your neighbor with the best of the EE techniques. And the first time someone in your family gets sick and you fall apart with anxiety just like they do, what are they going to say? You know, he talked all about this hope. He talked all about this, this world's not my home. But he's consumed with anxiety. He's no different than I am. And I certainly don't need a few hours a week at church and paying for Bibles and all of this other stuff. Right? You see, anxiety is a sin that's harmful because it harms our witness. It also is harmful because it prevents us from serving others. There's a kind of a great chain that exists and that God gives His goodness to us. And that provokes faith and trust in us. It excites our trust in God and causes us to do acts of goodness to others. When that trust is broken down because of anxiety, we tend to be withdrawn. We tend to put people at an arm's length. We tend to not wish to serve others because we're so worried about our own problems. You see, anxiety is harmful. And finally, anxiety is unnecessary. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, you can think about this in one of two ways. The first way is to think, don't worry about tomorrow, because you've got enough concerns today, and that's true. But what's also true from this text is, guess what? There's going to be trouble tomorrow. Count on it. So why be anxious about it? Each day is going to bring new cares. Is your anxiety going to stop that? The fact that you're worrying about something, is that going to keep it at the gate? No. It's just going to make you much less likely to deal with it in a biblical fashion. You see, anxiety is completely unnecessary. We can never be free from our fears by focusing on them. The only way to be free from fear is to look to the Lord and to ask Him for deliverance from fear. After all, isn't it true that perhaps the most used or one of the most used statements in the Bible is fear not? You see, it's unnecessary to be anxious. We've seen the root of anxiety. We've seen the foolishness of anxiety and now we cannot let the sermon end, can we? We can't leave ourselves there in that position. But we look at our text to find the solution for anxiety. What's the solution for being anxious? Because if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, being anxious is something that affects us. I am your pastor. I read my Bible daily. I pray for you. And I struggle mightily with the sin of anxiety. Because I'm not just tempted to be anxious for myself and my family, I'm tempted to be anxious for you as well. Because I know your cares and concerns. What do we do when anxiety grips us, when it gets after us? We do three things. The first thing we do is recount God's goodness to ourselves. Recount that God is good. That's what our Lord has done in many different ways and illustrations here in this passage. Well, what do we mean here? 
The first thing is, is that we recount to ourselves that God knows everything. God knows. You worried about food? Are you worried about clothing? Your Father knows you have these needs. You don't need to bring it to His attention. Right? We've all done that, haven't we? We've had a birthday coming up or an anniversary coming up and we're afraid someone's going to forget and we walk around the house saying, you know, someone has a birthday coming up next week and they would like a special dinner on their birthday. It might be Wednesday. I don't know. I'd have to look at the calendar. Right? It's called dropping a hint like a sledgehammer. You don't need to do that with God. He already knows. He hasn't forgotten you. Don't think just because you're in trying circumstances that God has forgotten about you. He knows everything. And He knows our specific needs. Again, verse 32, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows exactly what we need. We can also recount to ourselves that God is powerful. He's not only good, He is powerful. Ask yourself this simple question when fear and anxiety begin to grip your heart. Is this situation bigger than God? Is it? Because you see, that's what anxiety is tempting us to say. This is beyond what God could do. We know He loves us. We know He'd want to help us, but it's just too much for Him. He's too busy at the moment. Or this is beyond His power. Recount to yourself that God is powerful. Now that doesn't mean that there will be no troubles in life. Right? Because if I told you the Christian life was about no troubles, and you'll be healthy all the time, and you'll have more money than you could possibly ever spend, you would look at me and say, you've never spent much time with me, have you? You see, troubles and difficulties do come into our life. But God is powerful. God is powerful over all of our difficulties. We not only recount God's goodness to ourselves, the second thing we can do is we can look to God's promises. Even as we saw this morning with the baptism. As Wyatt will try Michael and Catherine's patience over the next 15, 18, 83 years, and he will, they can look to the promise of God. They don't have to be caught up just in the moment. And neither do you. You can look beyond the moment to the promise of God. You see, the solution here is not that different from the solution to coveting. The solution is to embrace God's promises and know that He cares for us. And... The difficulty is that we need to do this in the areas that most frighten us. Isn't that true? Anxiety gets at the places we are most fearful and sensitive to. Some of you may recall a book that was written a half century ago called 1984, written by George Orwell. And it was the story of Big Brother. Everyone knows that name. And Big Brother is this um, uh, seemingly omnipotent government that watches everything and, and sees what everyone does. And the protagonist in our story is a bit of a resistance fighter. He's a quiet resistance fighter, but he does things like doesn't listen to the reports he's supposed to. 
goes places he's not supposed to. And he meets a lady friend, and they, they are energetic in the freedom that they found away from Big Brother, out in the country, having picnics together. And they swear their undying devotion to each other. How they'll always support one another. Well, they're captured. And they are sure that they can stand up against Big Brother because of the love that they have for each other. There's only one problem. Big Brother knows what each of them is most afraid of. In the case of the protagonist, it's rats. And so rather than torture him with anything else, it comes right at him with rats. And after about a few moments, he's saying, do whatever you want to her. Kill her, torture her, just get the rat away from me. That's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to find the area that you are most vulnerable and attack that. Is it your marriage? That's where he will go. Do you have a strong marriage, but you're concerned about your performance at work? That's where he will go. Are you worried about one of your children more than others? That's where he will go. He will try to make anxiety take over your life by attacking you at the place you are most vulnerable. But you see, God says, don't focus there. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because nothing is better for restraining anxiety than meditating on the promises of heaven. This is what we are called to do, to look to the Lord. Christ promises us here that if we seek Him first, He will provide for us. He is a loving, powerful God. The final solution that we will look at this morning in terms of solution to anxiety is to rest in God's timing. To rest in His timing. Conquering anxiety is not pretending that today is perfect. We think sometimes that that's what it is, but it's not. You see, just pretending that life is different than it really is gets us in a whole mess of trouble. We saw that's what happened to all sorts of people in the kingdom of Israel. Syrians and Assyrians and Israelites. They were pretending the world was one day when it really wasn't. The real world is not perfect. It is marked by sin. And so we need to be focused on redeeming each day, day by day. That's one of the keys to conquering anxiety. You all know this analogy, right? You hear the sports scores. And your team lost to a team they never should have lost to. Why? Well, you know, next week they were going to play this other team. And we call it looking past the game that we're playing. But you see, we all do that, even if we're not sports fans, we do that in life. We look past today. We're worried about how to provide for a college education for our children when they're three. And we don't focus on their three-year-old needs. Focus on God's timing. God has given you this timing for a reason. Today is important. There was someone else in the Bible who was anxious. Her name was Martha. She and her sister were sitting at the feet of our Lord. And Mary was 
learning from the Lord Jesus. But Martha, she couldn't focus on the words that Jesus was saying because she was worried about how the meal was going to get cleaned up in 45 minutes. She kept looking past the now. And what does our Lord say to her? He says, Martha, don't be anxious. Same word. Don't be anxious, Martha. Attend upon me. That's what God wants from you. He doesn't want you to try and figure out how he should best fix your problems five years from now. Leave that to him. He wants you to focus on today, to not let your plans get in the way of life today. This is anxiety. It can be a gripping sin. It can be a crippling sin. But it is a sin that we can conquer through the power of the cross and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have helped us to see that we are not to be anxious, but rather simply to trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.